Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. Hi there. I'm Randa Fattah from ThruLine. If you're listening to this podcast, you know that KQED produces exceptional storytelling that keeps you informed, inspired, and entertained. Their podcasts cover issues from your neighborhood to the entire country and everything in between. Support this work today. You can help us continue to bring quality podcasts to your ears. Just head to donate.kqed.org podcast. That's donate.kqed.org podcast. From KQED. This is the California Report. Good morning. I'm Lily Jamali. We begin in the Central Valley, where cases of COVID-19 are surging. In the city of Visalia in Tulare County, one hospital is reporting its highest number of COVID-19 patients since February. Valley Public Radio's Carrie Klein reports that the hospital has declared an internal disaster. As of earlier this week, Kuia Health was reporting nearly 100 COVID-positive patients. That's almost a third of the entire hospital's capacity, and it's more than halfway to the maximum COVID caseload the hospital reached during the January surge. In a press call on Tuesday, hospital CEO Gary Herbst said their two ICUs are completely full, they're converting other rooms into COVID units, and they had difficulty finding a destination for a transfer patient on Monday. Literally. There was not a hospital in the Central Valley that was capable of uh, accepting the transfer. In response, Kuia Health has declared a code triage, a kind of internal disaster declaration. The hospital is also back to limiting elective surgeries, offering bonuses for overtime shifts, and they've appealed to the state to increase nurses' patient loads. Herb says the reason for the surge is clear. What we're seeing is a direct correlation between the community's vaccination rate what the hospital is experiencing. Just over half of eligible Tulare County residents have received at least one vaccine dose, which falls far short of the nearly three quarters of residents statewide. For the California Report, I'm Carrie Klein in Fresno. The California Department of Public Health is tightening protocols on larger events and gatherings. A new rule announced yesterday calls for everyone at indoor events with a thousand or more people to be vaccinated or have a recent negative COVID test. Until now, the rule applied to gatherings of 5,000 people or more. The state public health department also says attendees can no longer self-attest to being vaccinated. Now they'll have to show proof. The memo detailing the new rule says it doesn't apply to venues like shopping malls or museums that are open to public circulation as part of their regular operations unless they host an indoor event. The new rule will last until at least November 1st. State officials say they'll decide whether to extend it in mid-October. Well, in what's believed to be a first for the state of California, the Culver City Unified School District is requiring that all eligible students be vaccinated for COVID-19. The deadline to get vaccinated is mid-November, and by then, district officials say they hope the vaccine will have received full approval from the FDA. Teens 12 and older are currently eligible for the COVID-19 vaccine, but the shot hasn't been approved for younger children. The district superintendent tells the LA Times the decision was made after careful consideration and talks with the school board, teachers, and employee unions and parents. He says the added requirement will help protect schools as much as possible as the highly contagious Delta variant continues to spread in L.A. County.
Now to the latest on wildfires burning across Northern California. The Caldor Fire in El Dorado County, southwest of Lake Tahoe, continues to burn out of control. It's scorched more than 65,000 acres so far, with no containment by firefighters. Capitol Public Radio reporter Scott Rod has been spending his days covering this fire. He joins me now. Good morning to you, Scott, and start by updating us on why it is that firefighters are having such a hard time getting a handle on this one. Well, there are just extreme conditions out there on the ground. There's uh, very overgrown forests. The vegetation is very dry and the weather conditions are tough. You know, you have gusting winds. We've had a red flag warning that is about to lift later this morning, but that's created some difficult conditions. However, there was some good news overnight. There was only moderate growth in the fire, uh, about 2,000 acres or so. And that was helped by uh, increased humidity. But as you said earlier, it remains at 0% containment. So this is still very much an active and uh, dangerous fire. And we have seen a lot of people forced to evacuate because of this fire. You've been posting about it on Twitter and elsewhere. What is morale like among people who are in that situation, who are being forced to leave their homes while this fire advances? The morale in the moment, in the short term, seems to be very strong. People are coming together. Uh, I stopped at an evacuation shelter yesterday where people were coming in with donations. I even saw people helping each other set up tents because there's only limited capacity inside. And with COVID rules, that means that the space is uh, even more limited than, than usual. So people are definitely lending each other a hand. There, there's a sense of community. But in the more medium, long term, morale is a little cloudier. And they're also asking themselves if it's worth living in these areas. You know, one, because of the increased fire danger, but also because fire insurance premiums are just skyrocketing for some of these folks. Yeah, we've heard this from so many fire survivors who are trying to rebuild from fires in the last half decade. What about recreation areas? It's my understanding that some of these areas are now being closed for the summer. Can you tell us about that? That's right. Uh, you know, this is a very popular area among hikers and folks who just like to get out in nature. But the El Dorado National Forest is now closed to the public. That includes trails and campsites, other public lands uh, through September 30th. Um, so that's, I'm sure, going to hamper some folks, you know, late summer plans. And of course, the, the Sly Park area is also still under an evacuation order. So that, that area is closed as well. All right. Well, Capital Public Radio reporter Scott Rod, thank you so much for the update. Stay safe. Thank you. And the state's largest wildfire, the Dixie Fire, continues to threaten some communities in the North State, although winds pushed the fire away from the town of Susanville in Lassen County yesterday. Part of that city is still under a mandatory evacuation order. The fire is still posing a major threat to the town of Janesville and surrounding communities. Although thousands remain evacuated, some residents in Lake Almanor and in Chester have been able to return home. The fire has burned more than 678,000 acres. There was a sell-off in the stock market yesterday on news that policymakers at the U.S. Federal Reserve are talking about, and bear with me here, tapering their purchases of bonds and other assets. 
Translation, pandemic-era support for the economy, which has kept interest rates super low all this time, well, it's not going away, but it might soon slow down some. The news broke around the time that I was taking a walk around the San Francisco Federal Reserve Bank with its president, Mary Daly. As one of those policymakers, her outlook on the labor market is helping shape these decisions. And that's where we began our conversation. We're in, moving in a really positive direction. I am, you know, I've, I say it this way, I'm bullish about the, the recovery. I see us really gaining momentum. Employers want to hire. They really want to hire. Workers are coming back in as they feel it's safe to do so. A big thing happening in the Bay Area, across the country as well, across California, is kids are going back to school. Oh, yeah. This is a huge, this is a game changer where it allows yeah. people to, to re-engage in coming back to work because they have their kids being taken care of. Yeah. So I think that's going to be critical for the labor market. I expect the labor market to continue to grow, to continue to gain momentum mm -hmm. uh, over the course of the fall. The Delta variant is this wild card, but I don't see it derailing our growth as much as just tempering the pace. You know, one of the things about this neighborhood that we're in, in downtown, we're in the financial district of San Francisco. I worked here after the dot-com bubble burst in 2002. Oh, wow. So did I. And if you recall, it was really dead down here. It was. And I wonder, you know, how is this recovery different than that one or the one that took place after the Great Recession? That's a fantastic question, and, and it is really different. After the dot-com bust, after the Great Recession, there was just a long period of time when there was no even interest in activity. So you were waiting for the activity to start. Mm -hmm. What I see now is it's really as goes COVID, so goes the economy. Mm -hmm. So as people get vaccinated, as people are allowed to come back out, as they gain confidence that it's safe to do so, I've seen this surge in activity. And my, one of my, my best metrics is really when I drive across the bridge, you can see when the pandemic was in full motion, all the lights of the apartment building as I came across the bridge were dark. People had moved, they had left, the businesses were closed. And then over each month, I see more lights on. Mm. And so now when I come at five or six in the morning, I see people going to the gym, walking their dogs, lights are on in the buildings, businesses are opening so that people can engage in the activities. And that's a really positive sign. And it happened, the snapback has been much more quick, mm -hmm. much quicker snapback than we saw in either the dot-com or, um, or the Great Recession. So this is good news for the economy. It means people are wanting to come back. And so getting the health right, getting the COVID, the full COVID behind us, that's the essential agreement. And it might not feel like this right now, but this pandemic will one day be over. How do you think the job market is going to be different? Will it have permanently changed when we're on the back end? I think it will have permanently changed. I actually hope it has permanently changed. <laughs> because one of the key things that could come out of this is that we have an opportunity to build the workplace we want. That people can stop thinking about work life trade-offs. What if we had a system where it wasn't a work-life trade-off, it was a work-life integration? Well, what would that look like? Well, that would mean people who work in a hybrid model. Employers would understand this really increases productivity. Employees would say, wow, I don't have to trade going to this meeting to against my son or daughter's soccer game. Mm -hmm. That would be a world where I think we would be far better off. We'd be more inclusive. 
because if you had to take care of children, you wouldn't have to say, I need to forego the workforce. So I see the future is very hopeful. So you just outlined some positive potential outcomes of the pandemic, but you also recently wrote about lessons from the Great Recession and you know what we saw with job recovery there. I wonder from you, what are some of the negative things that might stick with us? Because we did see job numbers bounce back after the Great Recession. But I think we can also agree that the quality, the kinds of jobs, weren't the same once we came out of that. Well, that was a very different crisis. This crisis is one that we had to go in our homes and, and, and take care of our health, and then we can come back out. And so what I see happening going forward is that the job composition might change, but really what's going to change is the composition of how we work. Not just what we're doing, but how we're working. So that's a positive thing. So what's a negative thing? There are many that could happen. The thing right now is they're possibly avoidable if we work at it. So one thing that I'm very focused on myself is that you know, you think about the essential workers who are in high demand right now. Mm-hmm. You know, the job, the vacancies for uh, lower wage workers are skyrocketing and, and people are complaining they can't get workers to come back. Mm-hmm. So I met with some labor leaders yesterday and I said, so tell us, is it that nobody wants to work anymore or that something's changed? And what they offered, and I see this every day, is that workers are looking for a different deal. They're not as interested in working for someone who doesn't guarantee their hours or doesn't say you have an income that's sustainable. So I think a possible negative thing would be we go back to the old model where employees and employers, instead of collaborating to get something that works for everyone, Mm -hmm. that one or other of the groups have all the power. That was Mary Daly, president of the San Francisco Federal Reserve Bank. We'll have more from our conversation on tomorrow's show. And that is the California Report for this Thursday, August 19th. We are a production of KQED Public Radio. I'm Lily Jamali. Thank you for listening. Support for the California Report comes from Hint. Fruit-infused water in over 25 flavors like watermelon, pineapple, and blackberry. No sweeteners, no calories, in stores or delivered from drinkhint.com. Eric and Wendy Schmidt whose philanthropy harnesses the power of people and science to create innovative solutions for a healthy environment, just societies, and opportunities for human achievement. And Stanford Medicine, protecting your health and providing dependable care with safe in-person appointments and video visits. StanfordHealthCare.org slash AdaptingCare. Hi, I'm Sasha Coca, host of the California Report magazine. Every week, we bring you stories about what connects us in the giant, diverse, golden state. Because what happens in California changes the world. I love this place. We were once seen as, like, the place to be California. The land of milk and honey, that's where you go to Sunshine State, but we just have challenges right now. KQED's California Report magazine. New episodes drop every Friday, wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, it's Avery Truffleman, host of Articles of Interest. And I've got to say, I've been a fan of KQED ever since I was a little kid and I would come out to San Francisco to visit my grandma. It was just what we'd always turn on every time we got in the car, every time we were making dinner and turning on the radio. It was always KQED. 
And then over the years, I've become a massive fan of KQED podcasts because this is local reporting at its best. These are answers to questions you've always wanted to know, interviews with exciting, unusual voices, necessary journalism, all told with love and care and artistry. And did you know that a majority of KQED's funding actually comes from members? It's just people like you and me supporting the programs they love while also getting access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. If you want to sign up and be a part of this amazing community, visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to become a member today. That's podcasts with an S. Thank you for listening, and thank you for your support.